So if it's your very first time here, welcome. We are glad you came. And uh, last week, as Justin said, we kicked off a brand new series, and it was called, it's called Our House. And the idea behind this series is we're going to spend four weeks just really talking about relationships, the relationships in our life. And uh, there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible. Jesus talked a lot about relationships. We're going to look at that over these coming weeks. But um, last week, before we even stepped foot inside the house, we spent a little bit of time at the front door. Because we decided, you know, um, before we even look at the house and what each room represents in the way of relationships in their lives, we probably should address the front door and who we're even going to let into the house in the first place. You see, we have control of the relationships in our lives. And some, some of the relationships we've given access to our lives, and maybe they are um, life-giving relationships, and we love the, the relationships we have with these people. When we're with them, they invigorate us. We just feel refreshed. But there can be other relationships, can't there? There can be kind of life-stealing relationships. And we talked about that last week, how the front door is a good part of the house. Leaving the front door just wide open for anyone to come in maybe isn't the best of ideas. So if you would like to um, hear that message that you missed last week, you can watch that on the website or uh, download it from the podcast. But now we're actually going to step into the house itself. We're going to make our way upstairs, um, and we're going to go to the kids' room. Because this morning, I want to talk about that relationship that many of us have with the kids in our lives. It could be as a, as a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt. And we're going to use this, the metaphor of the house, and we're going to talk about kids' room, which really... If you're a parent here this morning, you'll be like, well, that's not really accurate because my kids, basically every room of the house, there's stuff. Like the kids' room is everywhere. There's toys, basement, all over the place. But, but just for the sake of this particular metaphor, the kids' room is going to represent the relationships that we have with the kids in our lives. Because the truth is, I bet if we were all honest here this morning, we'd say, I could use some help in that area. I feel a little overwhelmed at times with this relationship with these kids in my life. We're all looking for help. And in my research, I found that some of the best parenting advice out there um, happens to be found in old advertisements, okay? Advertisements from the 50s. That's the greatest resource of uh, advice and education when it comes to children. Look at this first one I found. It says, um, for a better start in life, start cola early, <laughs> See, that's the problem. We all waited too long before introducing our kids to, uh, to soda. How about this one I came across? This is awesome. Kids need the energy that candy gives. It's good for you. I remember having this argument a lot with my parents. Mom, I need this. And you do. You start eating more of it, and you will need it. It's addictive. Um, I like this one that I came across from Motorola. How television benefits your children. Great commercial here, I'm sure, that we would all say here this morning. Yeah, TV is a great benefit to my kids. I'm proud to say that my kids spend very little time watching TV. We've raised them well. They just watch their iPads all the time, just 24-7. <laughs> this last one was my favorite. Uh, this was for Rainier Beer, okay? Beneficial to young and old. <laughs> yes! So that's where you've been going wrong, see? This juice box, you need to... Cheers. I like, I like how this picture, you can't see this, it says, Grandpa, which is obviously some kind of toast. This is like the grandparents. And us parents sometimes, we're like, man, whenever the kids go and stay with their grandparents, they always spoil them. This is like the extreme. I mean, this is like, they really spoiled them this time. They were drinking a beer together. <laughs> the truth is that um, there is actually some great wisdom and some great insight that can be found in the Bible itself. 
In fact, one of the greatest, wisest men that ever lived, a man by the name of Solomon, he wrote a, a collection of, of proverbs. And these proverbs are full of wisdom. And he talks about kids in one of those proverbs. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, he says this. He says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. You may have heard a, a version that says, train up a child in the way he should go or, or give instruction to. Solomon's saying here in this proverb that, you know, it's never too early to start investing in the life of a child. It's never too early to start that, that training, that mentoring, that discipling in the life of a child. Now, this particular wisdom finds itself in Proverbs. It's a proverb. It's not a promise. It's not saying that if you do this, this will definitely happen. But it's certainly great advice that we can learn from Solomon about inputting into the life of those most important relationships we find ourselves with. Because the truth is, there's, there can be so much in this world, can't there, that can, can disillusion us, that can kind of make us feel like we're losing hope. Whether it's school shootings, depression, suicide, pornography, anxiety. It just seems, doesn't it, that kids these days are just fighting so many battles on so many fronts. And we can kind of sit back and think, man, is, can I really make a difference in a world like this? But the truth is, you can Every one of us can make the difference. And, and like Solomon says there, uh, we shouldn't wait. We should start children off. So start very early. Let's, let's make a commitment to start right now. Changing, impacting the life of the next generation. So I want to spend a few moments this morning looking at Jesus himself. You see, Jesus interacted with children. Jesus didn't have any children of his own, but we can read that he interacted with children. And there's one very famous time where, where he came uh, across a child and he used this child to, to illustrate a point he was trying to make to his disciples. Jesus had these, these 12 guys who followed him around and, and the goal was over the three years that he was with them was to mentor them and to train them and to prepare them to go out after Jesus' death and build the church and take his mission on. So you can imagine how frustrated Jesus must have felt one day after years with these people pouring into them, really explaining this truth and wisdom, when he overhears this argument going on between a couple of them over who's the greatest. They're arguing amongst each other. Well, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, you've missed it all. How have you not figured this out yet? So he pulls them aside, and in Mark chapter 9, we read about this encounter, and Jesus has a really interesting conversation. Listen to what he says. It says, sitting down... Jesus called the 12, these were his disciples, he called them and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Then he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whatever, sorry, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, this was an incredibly powerful visual illustration that Jesus was doing here about the greatest and the least in this particular culture because of the way children were viewed at this time. You see, this is a culture in New Testament times where children didn't really have a status of their own. They were completely marginalized. They had no power, no status, few rights. Children were viewed as far less important than adults. In fact, a father had so much power over a child that he could choose to recognize a newborn and raise it or literally just cast it aside. Now, it's hard for us in these days to understand that kind of attitude towards children. And it's not that parents didn't care about their kids. It's just that childhood in this day and age, it wasn't considered an honored stage of life. 
Its only value was being as a kind of a training ground for adulthood when things got really serious. So for Jesus to use this child, he was, he was taking the least amongst them. You know, he was taking the, uh, the person that in that culture would be viewed as the least and, and using this as a visual aid to his disciples to say, listen, you're all struggling and striving to be the greatest, but you need to strive to be the least, to serve others. This is what I'm modeling to you. This is what you should be modeling to others. But in doing that, he welcomes this little child he says, you want to know what it looks like to be great? You need to be the kind of people who will welcome a little one like this. So let's look at that idea this morning in the context of our lives. What does it look like to welcome a child? One of the first things every one of us can do, whether we're parents or not this morning, is just embrace. We all have the opportunity to just simply embrace a child. Now, I'm going to be honest here this morning, um, Casey's awesome, my wife, and uh, she just loves babies and loves little infants, and uh, very often we'll get to visit with friends who have just had a brand new baby, and I mean, she's no sooner in the door than she's got that baby, and she's holding it, and she's sitting on the couch and rocking it and getting a picture taken with it, and then that comes that awkward moment. I've, I've had three children of my own, okay? They were all babies at one point, and I held them all, and I changed their diapers, Sometimes, and then I fed them and dressed them. And so I've had experience with babies, but when it comes to other people's babies, I just, I, I just get awkward, okay? I'm just not good with other people's babies. And there'll become that point where Casey will stand up and she'll go, here, Dave, you hold him. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. But the parents are there and now it looks rude because I'm like, no, it's not because he's ugly. I don't think he looks good as a baby, but I just, you know, I'm just not, because he's like, come on, hold us. Oh. I just, I'm never really sure how to hold them. So now you've got to support the head and there's all this complicated stuff with babies. And, and then I overthink it. So as the pass-off is coming, I'm like, now I'm like freaking out because I'm like, I've got to hold the head and, and I'm, I start to panic and, and all I think about is the head and then it turns out she lets us go, that's all I'm holding, just the baby <laughs> by the head, just kind of dangling. And, and I know that's not right by the look in the eyes of the parents. Um, so I'm not great with babies, so if you have one, just uh, I'll, I'll come and pat it on the head and bless it. <laughs> but I love what Jesus modeled to us in this particular story that we just read. Did you notice the verse there? It says, taking the child in his arms. Now, this is really important to understand because Jesus was using this moment to make a point to his disciples. He could very easily have just kind of pointed. See that kid there? He could have kind of tussled the hair a little bit, ruffled the hair and said, see this little kid's here? But no, Jesus took the child in his arms. That in itself sent a message to the people around. You know who else that sent a message to? That child. When Jesus picked up that child, when Jesus held that child and used um, him or her to talk to the disciples, that child in that moment knew that someone other than their parents was embracing them. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared an illustration from a book I've uh, read recently, and it's uh, uh, kind of a sad book because it talks about this psychologist, and uh, he's worked with a lot of kids who have gone through very traumatic situations. I shared a story a few weeks ago about a boy he worked with who um, the parents had hired a, a relative to watch this, this baby, and unbeknownst to them, the relative had taken another job as well, so she was feeding the baby in the morning, setting him in the crib, and then leaving She'd come home at lunchtime, change him, feed him, and then so all morning, all afternoon, this went on from six months through 18 months. 
Sadly, this child grew up to be physically, emotionally, mentally affected just because it didn't have that contact, that love that it so importantly needed. The author talks about this idea of just the importance, especially in the early years of a child's life, of embrace. He says this, he says, ultimately what determines how children survive trauma, physically, emotionally, or psychologically, is whether the people around them, particularly the adults they should be able to trust and rely upon, stand by them with love, support, and encouragement. Fire can warm or consume, water can quench or drown, wind can caress or cut, and so it is with human relationships. We can both create and destroy, nurture and terrorize, traumatize and heal each other. And as I read this book, it was so sad to hear about some of the traumatic things some of these kids had been dealing with, but every chapter ended with a a ray of hope as as the the solution was an adult in this child's life coming alongside and loving and embracing the way that child should have been loved from the very beginning. That's how the healing came, through that connection with an adult who was willing to love that child. Because you see, when Jesus is talking to the, the crowd, he's not saying, hey, parents, you need to embrace your... He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the others in the crowd. There's actually a book called Sticky Faith, and the author, Cara Powell, and she talks about the idea that um, for, it's crucial for kids to have adults other than their parents as, as people of influence. She actually brings up this five-to-one ratio. She says that there should be, for every one parent, there should be five other adults in the life of a child. In fact, just do this for me right now if you would. If you somehow this morning, if you're here and you're involved in the life of a child, you could be a coach or a teacher, uh, maybe you're a scout group leader or assistant at school, just, just something where it involves you working with someone who's not your own kid. So you're investing the lives of somebody else's kids. Would you just stand for me right now? I don't want to embarrass you, but I just want to make a point here and show how many of people here are coaches or work in Connect Kids. Maybe you're a volunteer in Connect Kids. Can we just give these folks a round of applause this morning? Seriously, you, you don't realize the difference you are making in the life of a child. I can remember as a kid, I can remember that there were, there were people in my life. There was a group I used to go to called Crusaders, and it was a Christian group that my parents used to send me to, and we played table tennis and games and things like that. I can still picture in my mind the face of some of those leaders of that group. Because I remember how excited they used to be to see me. I remember how they would come up and they'd give me a hug. They'd say hi. They'd chat with me. I knew when my parents did it, that meant a lot. But that was their job. That's what parents do. (laughs) When this person did it, it was like 10 times more impactful. Because he or she didn't have to do that. But they made a difference in my life. Here at Connect, we are so fortunate to have some wonderful people that pour into the lives of your children. I want to just recognize three of them here this morning. Let's pull up this picture here. You're going to get to see three families here. So up in the top there is Whitney Clinky and her family, then Sandra Menson and her family, and right there in the middle, Justin and Caitlin, who you just saw earlier. They uh, are all on staff here at Connect, and they oversee the preschool area, they oversee the K-5 through area, and they oversee the youth group. They're all fantastic people, and they work tirelessly to pour into the lives of your kids. And I want you this morning, if you see them in the lobby before you leave, just give them a high five or a hug. If you see someone in a Connect Kids t-shirt, just, just thank them for what they do. In fact, here's what I want you to do. If you see Whitney or Sandra who work with Connect Kids, I want you to give them a gift this morning. 
Okay, when you see him before you leave, just say, hey, I've got a gift for you. And you might say, well, Dave, I don't have a gift with me. Well, you do. Every one of you does. Because you can actually give them their favorite thing. Do you know what their favorite thing is? Actually, you just saying, can I help and connect kids in any way? <laughs> they would love you. They really would. They'd give you a hug. They'd be like, yes. Seriously, it's, and, and the folks who serve and connect kids, if you see them wearing the shirts, they don't do this because it's their duty or because they feel like they have. They, they're making a difference for them. It's just, I hear so much back from them about how um, life-giving it is to be amongst these kids and be a part of playing a role in helping lead them to Jesus, helping to share Jesus with these wonderful children and teenagers in our church. Every single one of them is one of those five making a difference in the life of a child. You know, as well as embracing another thing that we as parents and those of us who are involved in the life of kids, whether it's as a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or whoever you find yourself as this morning, one of the things we can do is try to understand what's going on in the life of the child in your life. And you're like, Dave, seriously, it'll be easier to understand Greek sometimes. And I get that. It is, Okay. So let me help you a little bit here this morning by just uh, real briefly showing you what, uh, there's a curriculum that we follow here at Connect. It's called the Orange Curriculum, and it's a wonderful organization, and they really uh, very carefully address the different phases of a child and a teenager's life. So they make sure that all of their teaching, everything that's fashioned into what we teach on a Sunday morning, uh, kind of goes through the lens of these questions that the kids in our lives are asking. Because... You may not realize this, but through every phase of a kid's life, there are different questions that they find themselves asking. You know, in preschool right now, if you have a child who's in the nursery or in the twos and threes, the fours and fives, there are, if you're a parent of a child that age, really the, the only questions they want answered this morning is, am I safe? Am I okay? Am I able? Those are the questions, those, those infants, are, uh, the very first questions they find themselves asking. Then they kind of move to that elementary age, kindergarten through fifth grade, and the questions grow a little bit. Am I worthy of your attention? Do I have what it takes? Do I have any friends? Then we get to middle school, and that is just like a really kind of messy, confusing time. We're trying to figure out a lot of stuff, and the questions there are pretty simple. It's like, who am I? Why do I who do I like? Where do I belong? And as they move into the high school age, the questions become a little bit more deeper, a little bit more profound. Why should I believe? How can I matter? What will I do? These are the questions the kids in your life are asking right now. These are the questions that connect that we're trying to answer. But here's the, here's the challenge for us. We understand what kids and teenagers are going through. In fact, I'll, I'll share a story that'll help illustrate the, the challenge we have. I used to be a youth pastor at a church up in Lake Zurich. I had a great time, worked with a, a pretty good, cool guy up there, and uh, just really enjoyed my time there. But I can remember, still remember to this day, a parent coming to me one day. She kind of caught me in the lobby, and she kind of just chewed me out a little bit. She said, you know, my son, he's losing interest in church. He's getting in with the wrong crowd at school. He's misbehaving. He's getting in trouble. And what are you going to do about this? I, I, I didn't say this to her, I probably should have done, but I wanted to say, you know, we get to see your son for about an hour or two a week. You get to spend 166 hours of the week with your child. But the challenge was, and I think some of us face this sometimes, is that in her mind, she decided that the spiritual element of the development of her child, that was my responsibility, our responsibility. She was in charge of the rest. But the truth is, at 166 to 1 ratio, that's not going to work well. So we as parents 
and grandparents and uncles and aunts, we have to decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on that role as well. I want to be a part of the spiritual development of the child in my life. You might say, Dave, I don't know the answers to these questions. <laughs> I don't know much about the Bible. How can I be the one? Well, every one of us can start with these questions. We can start with these questions, just conversations. For us as a family, we, we love our mealtimes. There are plenty of ways you can, you can have this kind of dialogue with the kids in your life. It could be car rides, coffee dates, bedtime prayers, God times. But for us in the Jane household, mealtimes are our favorite. We try and have at least two, three nights a week where everyone's around the dinner table together. We just, we laugh, we tell stories. We have this thing where we go around and say, you know, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? And we all have these conversations together. Um, I can remember recently listening to a guy, uh, he was a pastor preaching, and he said that with his kids, what he does is he always asks his kids who they sat with at lunch. He says, great. He goes, every day I ask the kids who they sat with at lunch because I find out so much. I find out um, who their friends are. I find out if they've fallen out with someone. I find out what's going on. I find out what they're eating, if they're eating healthy or not. So, so I'm like, that's a great idea. So I tried this, okay? I tried three days in a row until finally my kids are like, Dad, why do you care? Why do you keep asking this question? Like, this is a question I don't normally ask, but every day I was asking them, who do you sit to at lunch? They're like, why do you want to know? But you know what happened? The other morning I was driving Emma to school. She's my youngest. She's 10 years old. And we were just waiting in the line to get around. I said, so who'd you sit with at lunch yesterday? And she told me the names of these girls she sat next to. And they were completely different than every other day's answer. And I said, oh, what happened to these other girls? She goes, well, we just kind of had a bit of a falling out. And this person said this and this. And she just right there in the car just started to talk a little bit about what was going on in her life. In a stage where she's asking, am I worthy of your attention. Do I have what it takes? Do I have any friends? And we get so busy, don't we, sometimes? And even the time we spend with our kids, we're rushing from one place to another. And it's just, it's just taking that moment to say, I'm going to try and be intentional here. I want to understand what's going on in the life of my kids because I know that it's not going to be long before they're grown up, graduating school, graduating college. So I'm going to work hard at trying to understand what's going on here. You know, the final thing you can do, as well as embracing the child in your life, understanding them, is just, it's a very simple one, but it's just to model. Model Jesus. Model faith. They are looking to see what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And do you know who the greatest model of that is? It's not their connect group volunteer, although they're great. It's not the pastor on a Sunday. It's not their youth pastor. It's going to be us. It's going to be moms and dads and grandparents. Listen to what Jesus said when talking to his disciples. In Matthew, he said, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He said, we have a responsibility. If we are followers of Jesus and we want our kids to grow up, to learn to love Jesus and have a relationship with him, we're gonna have to let our light shine. We're gonna have to make sure that they can see our good deeds. Kids need to see their parents and other adults growing in their faith. They need to see um, through us what it looks like to, be, to model the idea of talking to God in prayer, to reading and reflecting on Scripture, to being generous towards God and to one another. Because our attitudes, our behavior, the language that we use, all of these have a huge impact on the kids in our lives. 
You know, just recently we, we did a campaign here at Washington. It was called Together for Washington. And over the course of four weeks, we talked about this exciting news of this new building that we've bought and we're looking to move into next year. We shared how it's going to be quite an expensive um, cost for us here at Connect, but we, we kind of issued the challenge that if people here at Connect wants to get on board, we could raise the funds. And it was absolutely incredible. Just in, in case you weren't here for a part of that, our goal was to raise $700,000 and for 115 uh, families, or individuals or couples here at Connect to be a part of that. And uh, we're currently over 145 people have already said we're in. We want to help raise some finances to, to put towards the purchase and renovation of this building. And we're over a million dollars in commitments, which is incredible. It's just such... And it was just so exciting because even aside from the, the dollar value, just to see the, the excitement that, that folks had to say, yeah, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of the next chapter of Connect Church's history. We, we believe that stepping into that building, putting roots down in our community will help us to more effectively connect our community to Christ. And, and just the idea that there are still so many stories to be told of what God's going to do in the lives of people here in this community. But we as a family, we decided when we were going to make our commitment, the Janes, we, we sat around the dinner table one night, just one of those dinner time conversations, and we had this conversation. We're like, guys, what do you think we should do? Because I wanted my kids to be a part of that conversation. First, I wanted to model to them generosity. I wanted to model to them that this is something that mom and dad believe in, that we really believe that God has blessed us so much, and we can hold on to this, or we can spend it loosely, or we can invest in heaven, we can invest in a place where uh, Jesus says where moth and rust will never destroy. I want them to see that lifestyle of generosity. So we, we had this conversation. They were all involved. It was a week or two later, and I got to see the list of everybody who had uh, signed on to say we want to be a part. And I was just so moved because right there on that list was my son's name, Ben, my oldest son. He has a part-time job. He works in the movie theater. And he wrote his own card out. He said, I want to be a part of this. I want to give a little bit every month because I want to be a part of this Together for Washington campaign. I love that we got to model that. And, and you as parents, there's so much you can model in the lives of your kids. And you're doing that. You're doing a fantastic job, but we've got to think it through. We've got to be intentional. Say, how can we do this? You know, one of the best ways to, to model your faith is, is here on a Sunday. Coming as a family, I know life gets busy, I know we travel, I know we're involved in all sorts of different activities, but when you come here on a Sunday morning as a family, you are communicating to your kids, this is important to us. This is an important part of our week, to, to gather together with the community, with the people that we call uh, Connect Church, the family of Christ. This is important to us. And I love that moms and dads are able to be in here. Kids are able to hear this, this same message, but to their age appropriate, you know, talking about uh, whether it's in Connect Kids or in the preschool. But it's saying, hey, we, we like to make sure that we carve out time on a regular basis to gather together to worship God, to be in the presence of his family, to learn more about him so that we can go and live more effectively for him in our workplace, in our community, and hopefully for our kids in their schools, because they've seen that modeled through us. You know, I'll finish with this one last story here this morning. So just that the idea of when this works, when the idea of embracing, understanding, modeling, when it works, it changes kids forever, and it changes us.
as God uses us to do this. So back in 2013, we, we started Connect Church. It was the fall of 2013, but we actually started back in January. That's when we began the journey to launch this church. So I don't know if you realize this or not, but there was actually a group of us that were meeting uh, for about eight, nine months together, and we were praying, and we were um, coming up with a plan of how we were going to do this and what it was going to look like. And then during the course of this, uh, we had families who were part of that launch team, and they had kids of their own. So we would meet in these meetings, and we really wanted the kids to be able to be you know, looked after, uh, but at the same time, we didn't want people to miss out on this meeting. So we had one young lady, her name was Sarah, and uh, she was a part of the launch team, and she was a teacher. So he says, Sarah, do you think uh, you might be able to come up with some volunteers to help, you know, watch the kids on a Sunday night when we meet? And there was about, there was probably a good dozen, 15, 20 kids all together. And she said, well, my mom doesn't go to church, but she's great with kids. Would, could my mom help? And we're like, absolutely. So I've got a picture here of Sarah and Rusty. That's her mom. And during those first nine months, when we would have our launch team meetings, we would all be together at five points in one of those rooms, and off in the kids' room, Rusty would be just with the kids, just embracing them, loving them, modeling love and affection towards them. She was just great, great lady. Then Connect started in September, and I can remember, you know, by now we'd started, we had Connect Kids, we had all sorts of volunteers working with them, and Rusty would come along um, with Sarah. She hadn't gone to church a lot before that, so she would come along to Connect, and, and she would come here on a Sunday morning, and Sarah tells me that, you know, although she liked to come in and sit and listen to me speak, she always would make a point of looking for those kids that she'd looked after during the, the launch time, the launch period, because she loved those kids. She loved pouring into the lives of those kids. So here's the amazing thing. Five years later, some of those kids now are old enough that they're actually serving in Connect Kids. Some of those kids that she used to spend time with and watch over, they're now serving in Connect Kids. They're making a difference in the next generation of kids. Last year, I had the sad occasion to visit several times with Sarah and Rusty because Rusty found out at the beginning of last year that she'd caught cancer. And I prayed with her at the hospital, and I prayed with her at her home, and we just kept believing for a miracle, and we kept asking God for a miracle. But sadly, right around Christmas time, Rusty passed away. And it was such a sad time for the family. And they asked if I would do the funeral, and I, I did the funeral, and I found out during the funeral that they'd asked for any donations to be made to Connect Church. And she had a huge turnout. There were so many friends and family and people that she'd impacted. She was a great lady. And a few weeks after the funeral, Sarah came and met with me, and she said, here's a check. You know, we'd collect all this money. And I told Sarah then, Sarah, I said, we've got this new building coming, and I'm going to set this money aside. There's something we're going to buy that's going to go in our preschool area or our kids' area in the new building, and it'll be bought in Rusty's honor. Because she was right there in the beginning... She was right there in the beginning showing the importance of the five to one. That parents need other adults in their lives who are pouring into the lives of our kids. Just loving them, just modeling what love looks like. Just understand them, asking them the questions. Do you know, as sad as that funeral was, through my conversations with Rusty, through my time with her, I know that she knew who Jesus was. She loved Jesus. 
And even though she was scared and sad, she, she knew that death wasn't the end. Her family were so sad and obviously filled with grief, but also filled with hope knowing that she's with Jesus. And every one of us can have that hope. Maybe you don't have that same kind of relationship with Jesus this morning. Maybe you're thinking, how can I talk to my kids about spiritual things where I'm not even sure what I believe? You know, maybe that's where you need to start this morning. Maybe before you even think about what you can do in the life of the child, it's time to look inwards at your life and say, what can I do in my life? Because I want to be the best dad. I want to be the best mom. I want to be the best uncle, aunt, or grandparent that I can be. I want to be the best coach, teacher, scout group leader, whatever it is. And there's so much you can do, but the very best thing you could do for the next generation is make Jesus a part of your life. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to live my life following you. It will change who you are. I could tell you story after story of people who have found their way to connect and found a relationship with Jesus, and it's changed their lives forever. They'll tell you that the way I parent my kids now is different than the way I've ever parented them before because of what he's doing in my life. And it is hard work. I'd love to stand here this morning and say, hey, I've got this figured out. Let me tell you how to sort out the kids' room. <laughs> but I'm trying to figure it out myself. I've got three wonderful children and an incredible wife, and we're very blessed to have some amazing grandparents and uncles and aunts who just model the, the love of Jesus into my kids' lives. But it doesn't mean it isn't hard, but I'm so thankful that I don't take that journey alone. So let's tell you a prayer this morning, shall we? And pray specifically for the kids in our lives and what we can do to make a difference. Father, we love you so much. We love that Jesus himself modeled the importance of children in a culture where children were second-class citizens. He actually used it to, to challenge his disciples on their attitudes to importance. And yet you didn't just tell a story, Lord. You took a child and you embraced that child. And in doing so, you sent another message that as well as teaching the disciples that day, you taught that child an incredible lesson that there was someone other than his mom and dad who thought that he or she was incredibly important. Father, we pray for those people in our kids' lives, the teachers, the coaches, the, um, the volunteers here at Connect. We thank you, Lord, that you've put those people in our kids' lives. We pray for us, Lord, that you would help us when it comes to embracing, understanding, modeling, Lord. It's, it can be very scary, and we can think, I don't know if I can do it, but Lord, we lean into you and ask for your help in that area of our lives. And Jesus, we pray for this next generation. In a world where news headlines just seem to be focused around pain and suffering for kids, where even schools now aren't the safe place they once were. Father, it can cause us to retreat back and live in fear, but Father, we pray, we pray that we will model our kids, we will raise our kids to grow up to be the ones that make a difference, that shine the light, that change the lives in their schools and amongst their friends. We can make a difference, Lord, not just through our lives, but through the lives of our kids. So help us to invest in them, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.